Africa Agenda is a podcast that features conversations with people working at the intersection of open data, open government, and sustainable development in Africa. Uh, this is Mushiri. We are in Tbilisi, Georgia, uh, at the funicular complex, and I'm looking out on on the city from probably the highest point I can see for miles. And I'm joined today on this very fast episode of Africa Agenda by Ukelani Timba of ODAC, um, so Open Democracy Advisory. I used to be. Oh, formerly, <laughs> formerly ODAC. See, I still have my old bio stuff uh, on on uh, on my stuff. So tell me, Bukelani uh, Dimba. Um, the last time we talked, you were living in two cities. <laughs> is that is that why I lost I lost track? That's that's where you lost track. Uh, yeah. So tell me. It's true. I I used to be the executive director of the Open Democracy Advice Center based in Cape Town. But uh, I'm now based in Durban. Uh, I'm uh, heading up something called the International School for Transparency, uh, serving in the capacity of being head of development. So we are at incubation stages of the ISD. Oh, I thought ISD was... Um I thought it was something you're doing in concurrently with, with oh, no, product. So no, no, it's a full-time no. job. No, no, no. It's, it's a full-time job to set, to set it up as an independent institution because uh, where it comes from, it started as a, 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 a project of the University of Cape Town and Södertörns University in Sweden. Uh, it's been running for about seven years. However, it has lost steam over, over the last three or so years ago. And so we decided that one of us who has been doing it part-time needs to uh, invest time and, and actually uh, establish the institution as a standalone uh, structure. Right, so what does the School of Transparency do? School of Transparency doesn't do what it suggest it does. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not expecting a, 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 a course module on, on uh, you know, setting up a new chapter of TI oh. um, or, 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 you know, innovative ways of holding government to account. Not, not, not at all. I, I suppose in a very indirect way, those are the outcomes. But really what the International School for Transparency does is to uh, create spaces for senior government leaders uh, at ministerial levels, at uh, permanent uh, secretary levels, a space for them to meet as counterparts and as colleagues uh, to work through uh, issues that governments have around transparency and accountability. Um, what we've been doing over the last decade or two in the access to information space has been to say, let's have access to information laws. That will solve our problems around corruption, etc., etc. However, that's that's not the case. You can still have these laws, and your problems of uh, poor governance will remain. Yeah. So, because they are not well implemented, and they are not well implemented because the implementers are too junior. They are not decision makers in ministries and departments. So, you need that decision maker, that political head, to be positive towards transparency issues and accountability issues so that the junior officials can then exercise their responsibilities uh, 
diligently. And, this, so, and you do need other parts of, of government, other parts of the, the governance framework to be yeah. in place because um, if, 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 uh, if um, the, the justice law and other sector isn't, isn't functioning, mm -hmm. then you cannot even enforce uh, an access to information provision if, if it requires sanction on a, on, a, on a public officer and the justice system totally. is messed. Totally. It's an entire framework that you need. You firstly remember, even though we talk about access to information, really we're talking about access to documents. Mm -hmm. So if your records management and archiving system is poor, there is no way you can exercise your access to information rights. Not at yeah. all. So it's about records management practices. It's about uh, uh, your, 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 your judicial services, the, the ability of a requester to approach a court of law or a tribunal kind of structure to get redress. It's about uh, the public service that sees requests for, for information not as confrontational steps, but as individuals exercising their human rights. You need an entire framework, both institutionally, but and, uh, in terms of attitudes and the culture. So this is what we're trying to do as, a, as the International School for Transparency, to change the culture, particularly at higher levels of government. Uh, based on your iBuds view, and I, I, I say iBuds view also because as I look out on the city, you know, from, from here, I kind, of, I kind of think, wow, people who live up high really have fantastic views. But, you know, being up high, sometimes you get a, a view of, of, uh, of what the state of, of government is, what the state of governance is. Um, you know, because of, of, of the roles that you've been playing, and we'll talk about OGP in a second, uh, do, you, do you feel we've made some progress? Uh, across Africa, the only ten countries also in OGP, but you know, if you look at the rest of of Africa as a whole, um, do we have bright spots that that make you still have hope? It's a difficult question because uh, you, you measure progress in many different ways. Uh, if you say enactment of of laws is is your indicator, then I'd say, well, well done, congratulations, you you have these laws. Yeah. But uh, do those laws change uh, what is happening on the ground? Do they change how uh, officials approach issues of governance? It's another question. So you need a different indicator to be able to test that. But just broadly and generally, what we have been able to do as civil society on the African continent has been to cast the issue of transparency in a different light. Because for a long time, this issue has seemed to be something that only the media is interested in. But you now find citizens, ordinary, ordinary people, yeah. you know, really uh, making a strong call for their governments to be, to be transparent, to, to be open. So I think at that level, it looks good. Uh, it, it's very encouraging. There are pockets of resistance from, from, the, from, from government uh, sides, uh, you know. Because again, you know, we have to be honest about the, the true impact of transparency. What transparency does is that it, 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 uh, it directly affects the balance of power. Yes. You know, though the person that has information has power, the person that doesn't is, is put in a disadvantage. So when you are pushing for, for, for transparency, you are essentially saying, let us, let, us, let us rebalance the power dynamics. And, and those that have information, they know this. So they will resist it. So it's, it's, it will take a long, long time. It requires a lot of confidence to be able to truly put in place an effective transparency uh, framework in any country. And it's difficult 
to be to, to be able to do it if you've got skeletons in the closet. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is true. <laughs> so as as long as people in the public service uh, are still remaining in the public service for other reasons beyond serving the, the, the public, you will, will, will struggle to get this right because they will have skeletons that they want to hide. And so resistance will be there. Um, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've been fighting these things, you've been putting a lot of effort on this work, not just um, at ODAC and not just no. at IST, but also within the context of OGP. Mobilizing civil society to get, you know, to, to not just get a seat at the table, but make good use of that seat yeah. once they have it. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. You're the OGP uh, civil society co-chair. Mm -hmm. uh, for some of some people have no idea what what, uh, what that means. <laughs> so maybe maybe we could start there. Who's who's a co-chair, and you know what, what do they do? Maybe if you allow me just to go back a bit and, and talk about OGP, just just yeah, a brief introduction, because absolutely. then I think it will help to then des describe the, the role of the culture within OGP. The, the Open Government Partnership is an initiative that was established in 2011 by eight heads of state from across the world, including presidents of the US, the UK, um, uh, Brazil, uh, Mexico, uh, uh, South Africa, and a few others. The whole idea was that um, a platform was needed for, for countries to come together and support each other in changing the business of government, in making their governments more open, more transparent, more accountable. And so when this initiative was set up, it was decided that uh, the process of of, of, of doing this has to include civil society. Um, uh, it shouldn't be government working on their own. So in terms of uh, management of the OGP, you have uh, 11 governments uh, and 11 civil society leaders forming the steering committee of the OGP. So basically civil society leaders sit at the same table with government uh, leaders at ministerial and, and, and uh, head of state level uh, to basically manage this whole process of transition. It started out with eight countries, now we have uh, uh, 76 countries that are part of, of the OGP. So as co-chair, um, my responsibility is to lead uh, the steering committee, but I don't do it alone. I also have a co-chair who currently is the Minister of Justice of uh, Georgia, where we are for the summit. Um, how, how long is the time of, of, um, of the co-chair? I, I know now, now you're the outgoing co-chair. Yes. And I must admit, you've, you've seemed to, 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 say, to take, that, take on that outgoing part in such relish. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go into retirement on this one. Uh, it's, it's not, it hasn't been easy, but it's been, it's been very fulfilling to be able to play this role, um, to be able to influence global thinking on issues of transparency. Uh, I indicated yesterday that when I joined OGP, the steering committee itself, the discussions was, were, were on issues of, uh, of uh, open data, uh, access to information laws. Uh, that was the framing of, of mm. OGP. But coming from a developing country in Africa, for me, I wanted more out of it. Uh, for me, I was seeing the things that were being cast as priorities to me, there were just tools. 
So open data to you was just a tool, yeah. not, not, not a goal. And, and access to information was just a tool, not a goal. For me, I wanted to see how those tools help us address issues we face at home, issues of underdevelopment, issues of corruption, you know, things like those. Yeah. So uh, I managed over the, my term of being chair to uh, encourage my colleagues in the steering committee, both civil society and government, to begin to speak to the language of uh, people that I am used to, the language of our, our schools open, our clinics open, do we have roads? Because those are the, the, the concerns that people have on the ground. I know you're an open data champion, but I'm sorry to say, uh, people are not concerned about open data. They're <laughs> not concerned about development. And the things they're, that they're we consider to be our development. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So now you have this agenda. This summit has uh, access to public services as a major, as a major priority, uh, thematic priority. And without being in the steering committee, I wouldn't have been able to, to influence how 76 countries view this issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at uh, NDRI, uh, where, where I, I, I enjoy my day job, <laughs> I, I love my job, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a good deal of our work really is looking at, 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 uh, at development and data within the context of development. Oh, yeah. we, we see, actually see, like, like you rightly said, open data as a tool. Um, and therefore, it can't be at the front. What needs no. to be at the front is the actual issue. Exactly. Uh, exactly. If if we're if we're having to deal with ending child marriage, uh, we can't fetishize the data um, to the extent that people forget that actually you know what there are um, four year olds, five year olds uh, being handed over to twenty four year old men. Um, you know the the case of Nura in in, in Sudan is a stark reminder mm. that uh, this is not happening in the in the Middle Ages. It's yes. happening today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. but, uh, but at the the. The question I suppose I, I have in, in looking at not just what OGP has, has done in the past, where it's going, what's the extent to which uh, OGP has been able to, especially in Africa, been able to address that development um, issue? Uh, I, I think it's early days. Uh, I, think, I think it's early days. Remember, my, my term as co-chair um, really started in, in September 2020. 17, mm -hmm. and it's coming to an end in September 2018. So, we've really, as an initiative, we've really been uh, looking at this, at the issue of transparency from this perspective during this period. So, it, it will be a while before we get a sense of uh, what kind of traction we've been able to create uh, by, by, by changing the, the approach. OGP has come, of course, into Africa when. We've, and we talk about this in some spaces. How Africa has a very good amount of intelligent, intelligently written paper. Yeah. Some fantastic yes. policies, some yeah. amazing normative frameworks. Yeah. Um, this last week we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of the Protocol on the Rights of Women in Africa. Mm. 15 years. Yeah. Um, the most progressive uh, instrument on the rights of women in the world. Yeah. Uh, the only instrument at, at least and, and uh, at, of that nature that addresses sexual reproductive, sexual reproductive health and rights. Uh, but then you have the paper to implementation gap, which yeah. is which is what you know tells you that keeps us awake. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, there's, there's within OGP um, the national action plans and the work that we tend to, to do them so we are creating paper there. 
but that paper is coming into a context where we already had other paper, like the African Charter on Democracy Elections and Governance, yes. the African Charter itself on Human and People's Rights, the Convention on Anti-Corruption, yeah. um, the, the Rights of the Child, all this, mm. all this other paper that's already yeah. been there. Yeah. Um, is, is, uh, is, is, is OGP contributing to more paper in Africa? Uh, 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 is it, are there ways that you can see beginning to help us close that paper to implementation gap? Well, you see, we, we, <laughs> uh, we in Africa, I would say we are paper rich and practice poor. Uh, by that I mean to say we've got fantastic, as you rightly say, we've got fantastic frameworks, uh, legal frameworks in other words, policy frameworks, to tackle the issues that, that are facing us. But implementation is a problem. So, as OGP, we're not, we are not bringing paper. We, we, are bringing, we are bringing a tool that could help you uh, implement the things in paper. So, for example, we don't, as OGP, we don't uh, dictate uh, what kind of commitments countries should make. In their action plans. In their action plans. We don't. We don't. We say, look at your circumstances, look at your national priorities, and then use the platform of OGP to be a tool for implementation, a mechanism to help you to get to that point. Um, so, for example, uh, I, I won't even get into the charters and, and, and all other legal frameworks, but I'll start with, let's start with the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Let's start with the, your own national development plans. And just about Let's every start country with, in Africa. With, your, with your own uh, anti-corruption strategies, yeah. national anti-corruption strategies. And then say, okay, you have the SDGs, you have your anti-corruption anti strategy, you have your national development plan. Mm -hmm. What can you take out of these and put in the, in the OGP national action plan? If you want to do that, go right ahead. But what we as OGP will do, we will hold you to what you've committed to do within a cycle of 24 months. Uh, months. That's how it is. That's exactly what it is. So uh, that's why I'm saying it's a tool to force you to implement. Uh, my colleagues will not be happy with me by using the word force. Uh, <laughs> it takes out the voluntary part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> it's a tool to facilitate implementation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You determine what you want to implement. As long as you've told us what you want to implement, we will then hold you to, to that. That's, that's all we do. Yeah. So in, in many ways, uh, OGP really can be part of our means of implementation for whatever else we're supposed to be doing. It can't. It can. It can. It, that yeah, it yeah, can yeah, yeah, actually be yeah, yeah. part of our means of implementation. Definitely. A means to an end. Definitely. What I was saying, uh, I spoke yesterday uh, to, to parliaments uh, who are here. There are about 25 parliamentary delegations at the summit. And what I said to them is that we are still missing a trick because we have these anti-corruption law uh, strategies. But people are making anti-corruption commitments in the National Action Plan that are not related to what to is the strategy. The, to the strategy. And I'm saying, what, what are you doing? Because you should be taking the, the things you've identified in your strategy and plugging them into the National Action Plan so that there is an independent entity that says, hey, look, you seem not to be doing well here. How can we help? Because that's what OGP does. Yeah. We provide technical and financial support for countries to implement the commitments that they've made. So... 
so far, I know the, the, the OGP conference is still starting. Yeah. We've only just done the official plenary, but there has been, uh, like you say, uh, some, some activities. We had the uh, parliamentarians meeting yesterday, we had civil society day. Yes. Um, what, what have you had so far that, that uh, uh, triggered something? You know, whether it's concern, whether it's, whether it's glee. <laughs> You know, is there, is there anything of that nature that has... I've heard two very important ideas uh, since I arrived. The first one relates to how do you keep uh, momentum going in instances of political transition? We've had instances where one president uh, gets the country to join OGP, then their term comes to an end or they voted out of office. The next president says, ah... I don't like this, and, and I'm out. They, I'm out. They yeah. pull the country out. So, one of the very interesting ideas I, I, I heard about yesterday was this whole idea of having uh, multi-party coalitions in parliament, where you have members of parliament from across the political spectrum forming an OGP committee. Mm-hmm. So they are parliamentary champions for OGP. So that in that way, where the change of administration has no bearing on the momentum in that country because uh-huh. whoever is going to be elected into the new administration will come from uh, this group in parliament that would have been already positively inclined towards OGP. So I thought that was a good idea. The second idea relates to uh, the issue of involving parliaments in exercising oversight over the implementation of the national action plans. Because we do find one of the big problems we have within OGP is poor implementation of some of the of the commitments. Uh, it, it really just depends. Some commitments are easy to implement and we don't have problems with, but some are a bit tricky, so you know, governments take, tend to take longer to, to get things into, into place. But uh, we had an example, for example, for, from uh, Serbia, government of Serbia, mm-hmm. where parliament uh, holds the government, the executive, accountable for implementation. So from time to time, they call the minister responsible for OGP to say, explain to us what has been happening. What have you committed to? What have you implemented? Why have you not implemented if there are things that are still kept? So I, think, I thought that was a very interesting idea. Yeah. Um one of the one of the people who's here at this conference has been a long time champion for legislative openness. Yes. His honourable Bedra from Ghana. Yes. Um, yes. And when I first met him, he was actually sitting on the committee on implementation, or the equivalent yeah. name for it in in um, in Ghana. I think in Kenya, I think it's called committee on implementation. Many of the parliamentary mm. system countries in Africa have a similar committee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yes, most of the time they hold government to account for the things that they have said on the floor. Yeah. Uh, but they are parliamentarians with oversight co- yeah. mandate. You know, they, they can hold them to account for, for just about anything else they're promising to citizens, right? Mm. Uh, mm. So maybe, and I think that, so both of those are really interesting yeah. things. I'm hoping that we can uh, at least, especially look at how to engage the committees on implementation. Totally, within, totally. Um, it, it, it's much needed. Nowhere else on our African countries. Where, um, does Morocco have one of those? Morocco has just joined OGP. They just joined OGP. They've just joined OGP. There are some, the monarchy of some sort. Yes. You know. uh, well, we do have uh, one or two uh, monarchies. Uh, Jordan is in OGP. Yeah. Uh, Morocco has just joined. Of course, uh, I, I 
not sure about my, my history and politics, but I think that the Queen is the head of state for Canada, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not? Yeah. But there's so. a difference between head of state and like, head like of government, right? So, yeah, no, no, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about the head of state. Yeah, like yes, a, I think a, so. A titular think, head of state. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, but they're and, not strictly, and Canada, strictly <laughs> monarch, monarchies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but... Um, yeah, we have uh, we have we have all all different shapes of uh, of government yeah. in OGP. Where we draw the line is where we have you have dictatorships and military military governments and, and things like that. What if they're beginning to think about transition no. and being and being open? They 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 should talk to us when they've made the transition. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's true. There, there have been instances. There have been specific instances where a a. a that the, the military took over mm-hmm. government uh, and it's been going for a long, long time now. They've been in power for a while and uh, they did write to us to say we want our country to join. Actually, they did qualify mm-hmm. to join. Oh, so they have an access to information law, they're doing well on open budgets. Yeah. They're ticking all the boxes. Ticking all the boxes except the democracy box. <laughs> <laughs> so, so unfortunately, um, we wouldn't be able to, to do that because um, we are all up. It's the, I said it this morning, uh, you know, civic space, uh, the ability of, of, of the public and civil society to operate freely and influence government policy, yeah, that's the lifeblood of OGP. So where a country has taken a specific political decision to shut down, clamp down on that ability, we won't be able to take them in, unfortunately. That's right. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. <laughs> I know, I know. There's a limit. Yeah. Um, so, the last question, because yeah. I know, you know, we need to go at some point. Mm. Uh, next, the next four years, the next, mm. the next kind of couple of terms for incoming and outgoing co-chairs, yeah. what would your hopes be for, for Africa um, in relation to open government? What, what would you like to see more it's a it's it's a it's a difficult difficult question because there, there is a tendency to say uh, I want more African countries to join OGP and that's such a very it's a wrong approach to it a totally wrong approach. What I want is those countries that are part of OGP right now to raise the level of ambition uh, in terms of crafting commitments, in terms of implementing the commitments that they have made. Um, Africa has a lot to, to show the world, has a lot to, 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 to give to the world. I mean, you, you come from Kenya, uh, everybody knows about Mpesa, uh, everybody knows about Ushahidi, you know, how, how Kenya has, le- has led uh, the global movement on open data is, is just impressive. So, those are the things I'm looking at, where we, we generate our own solutions and innovations in Africa and we take them out to the world. And with a little bit of, 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 of support from those that hold power, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there is no limit to what we can do. It's been shown. In your case, you, you had, you had a, a permanent secretary that was supportive of the agenda and possibly even higher up a minister, president, I'm not sure how it worked, but it was quite clear that you had political leadership that, that got it and, and were willing to invest in it. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. That's what we need. Um, 
then anything is possible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I see, you know, I, I'm, in addition to that, I'd, I'd hope to see some of what you, you had, a bit more of the parliamentary. I'm a big fan of parliamentary openness, so seeing a bit more of the committees of implementation and getting involved, that would be delightful. Seeing yeah. that, that gap between our uh, legacy notions of open government yeah. connecting yeah. with the how the new approach of thinking about it as a means of as a means of yeah. of, of getting our development agenda to move forward, and you know some of these things I think you know allowing African governments to and African people uh, to use this to to their to their own um, yeah. uh, to meet their own ends. It's 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 to their benefit politically. Yes. And I was in a meeting yesterday, and then the minister said, you know, politically. Mm-hmm. It's to a benefit to have people happy about you. <laughs> as a politician, as a minister, as a president. Yeah. It's good for you if people are happy with you. <laughs> you know. But they won't be happy if they're not getting the entitlements that they think they deserve or the rights that they, they, they're entitled to are not being met or you know, their, their needs are not being met, whether it's about access to housing, schools and things. So if African governments are able through OGP to meet citizens' needs, you know, you have a happy population. Yeah, <laughs> you have a happy electorate. So there, there are strong political incentives to take this stuff seriously. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Mikelani. It was a lovely, outgoing, lovely, lovely chat. Outgoing chat. As every time I say that, I see a smile on your face and a glint in your eyes. <laughs> that tells me I should be very concerned for Nathaniel. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work, but it's very fulfilling. Um, uh, the last, the last year has been amazing. Um, just to be able to work on some of the issues that I care about deeply. And, and, and be in a position to talk directly to, 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 to people that can make those things happen. So it's been a nice balance. A lot of hard work, but the returns have also been, been very, very good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Mujib. We look forward to meeting again on these same streets. I hope, I hope we don't have to wait until another summit. Before no, no, no. no. We chat. no. But I'm not coming to... Uh, You're not coming to Nairobi? What do you mean? It's amazing weather, no, great, no. great meet. No, I have to move to Nairobi. Yes, to yeah, please come. We will <laughs> be very happy to have you. And we, and we will, we will uh, excuse, we will have you to waive the requirement for uh, the ability to do the 10 kilometers. <laughs> In X minutes. I I will I will keep in my thoughts and prayers. <laughs> my friend. Alright, many thanks, man. Thank you.